Good morning, Restoration Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church. And uh, thank you. You're so kind. I want to uh, welcome uh, everybody joining us online, everybody at our Plymouth location and our Milton location. Glad that we get to be together to, uh, to open God's word, to learn God's word together, and uh, just glad that we get to be our church, even with our church um, uh, you know, meeting and having services, four different services, maybe, you know, if we count online, uh, uh, six different services in various places across the state and even the world. It's great that we are still one church, united in heart, united in mission, united in vision, and uh, making a difference every week in people's lives and uh, you know, one thing that happens is if we're allowing God to move in our life and we're just yielding to him, then he does what he needs to in us and he gets us to the places where he can use us for his purposes and for his mission. Um, each week, um, we've been, as we've been in this series called Pitfalls, if you're joining, joining us for the first time today, We've been talking about pitfalls that we fall into. And so we're walking in our life, maybe trying to find God, walking through our life, trying to live out the purposes of God. And there are pitfalls that we, that we get stuck in. And each week we've been looking at a different subject and talking through those pitfalls. So we started out the series talking about pitfalls in dating. Then we spent two weeks talking about pitfalls in marriage. And today, we're gonna talk about pitfalls in mental health. And, you know, and maybe that's something you struggled with. Maybe it's something you struggle with and you, and you just haven't even recognized that, that that's the problem yet. But there are things that we do, decisions we make, behaviors we make, that affect our mental health. And so some are probably more obvious and, um, and some you might be doing and you're thinking that it's a solution to the negative feelings that you're feeling, but actually they are, they are these pitfalls that are keeping you stuck and making your situation worse. And we're making decisions thinking it's gonna, it's gonna bring health to our life but the only thing it does is it compounds the crisis that we're in. If we look at just the state of New Hampshire, um, uh, the people in New Hampshire, 22% of the people in New Hampshire are dealing with a mental illness. And that could be a short-term, mild, um, uh, mild situation, or it could be very severe and dangerous situation. But 22% of the people in New Hampshire are dealing with this. So you don't have to feel weird or embarrassed if you're someone dealing with that. Now, the part of this that is uh, the most concerning is that of that 22% of those, um, I think it's hundred and 33,000 people in New Hampshire, 
of them are untreated. Actually, that's the, uh, it's 133,000 people in New Hampshire who are untreated. So they're, they're either unable to get help because they don't have the, uh, the finances or the insurance or even the capacity because their illness has um, just completely ravaged their life. So they're either unwilling, they're either unable to get help or unwilling to get help. And so we've learned all of these ways to just bury what's going on. We've learned all these ways to have an outward appearance of having everything together. We've learned to ignore our, our, our symptoms and or, or maybe we've learned just even different ways of of self-medicating ourselves, of using a substance or using a credit card or using another person and doing, uh, doing all these different things to just live outside of, of, of ourselves, to ignore what's really going on internally in our heart and in our head. Before we get into this, um, before we get into this, I, I just, you know, because I, I, as we get into it, I grew up in Restoration Church, so there are some people in the church here that I've known my entire life, and there's some people in the church I've known you your entire life, so we have multiple, many decades together, and the one thing about me that, that I kind of always like, found, that I always prided myself on like internally is that I was pretty stable. I don't really have very many uh, high days. I don't have very many low days. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm about as even keeled person as you'd ever meet, which makes it very difficult for people to read me. Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he angry? Does he like me? I have no idea. Nate Gagney, I have no idea who this guy is. And um, I don't do that on purpose, but it's a little bit of my personality. And kind of, I've always felt that it was a good thing for me because in crisis, I could, I could still think clearly. And when everything was blowing up, I would still be able to say, here's what we'll, here's what we'll do. Here's the plan. We'll lay it out. We'll walk it out. And I, and I could do that. Um, I could do that. Well, 2021, for me personally... Uh, it was the closest I've ever gotten to crisis in my life. Um, and it really was a bunch of things that compounded, but I realized, and what I, what I began to feel and I begin to communicate with Michelle is, I've got this low-grade stress that is not going away. That I feel it in my chest, I feel it, in my, in my stomach, I feel it controlling my thoughts, this low-grade stress and anxiety that is not going away. And at this point, I communicated it like it has not gone away for three or four months. It is, it is just, I can't get past it. And, um, and it was not just stress, all right, but it was a little bit beyond that because I've been stressed before. Um, but I just felt like communicating with Michelle, and I said to her what I just communicated to you, I feel the closest to crisis I've ever been. I feel the closest to breaking 
that I've ever been. And so I had to make the decision to, uh, to, to, go, to go get help, to, to go to counseling and to say, hey, I, I just don't even know how to process this. All I know is I can't continue to feel this way. Like, th- I, I just feel dangerously close to, to breaking. And, um, and, and it was affecting our house. Michelle, it wasn't really affecting Michelle and I, but the kids begin to say things like, dad never laughs. And I mean, I mean, tell better jokes, guys. But beyond that, uh, uh, but, it was a, but it was a struggle for me, all right? And uh, so listen, we all get there. We've all been there. And the thing that I wanna communicate to you is you don't have to stay there. And the things in scripture are true, all right? And we're gonna do, uh, we have Easter Sunday. The next week we'll be starting uh, another, a whole series on mental health and going through uh, Pastor Chris Hodges' book together, Out of the Cave. And uh, we'll be doing that teaching series. So today we're just scratching the surface on a couple pitfalls. Uh, after Easter, the weeks after Easter, We'll be really diving into getting out. If you're stuck in these pitfalls, getting out and working through things and getting freedom from, uh, from these things and freedom in these areas. So let's talk through pitfalls. Pitfall number one is isolation. And we'll probably talk about this one maybe longer than the other ones, but when you look at the Bible and you begin to look at Scripture, the, um, one of the first negative statements, or, or even the first negative statement recorded in the Bible, was when God created Adam, and then he said, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, it is not good for man to be alone. Oh, I've created man. I've created him to have dominion over the earth. I've created him to have a relationship with me. I've created him um, in my image. I've created, I've breathed my life to him. He is different than, than the beasts of the earth and he's different than the animals. He, he carries my DNA, he carries a soul. He is eternal, but it is not good for him to remain isolated, it is not good for him to be by himself. If you, um, you, you know, with every, if you begin to, um, if you study history at all, there's, there's this, um, there's a statement that you've heard before, it's divide and conquer. And uh, it kind of goes back, maybe Julius Caesar is the first person who really spoke about it, but you can see even in history's past, you can see where it was a tactic used by governments and militaries and leaders even beyond, uh, even earlier than the times of, of Julius Caesar. And this is the same tactic that our enemy does, that our spiritual enemy does. What is happening in this is it's trying to gain power or maintain power by breaking up groups of people and isolating them into smaller groups. That way they have less power than if they all 
came together. The Bible says that we have a spiritual enemy. He's seeking to devour us. And you know, the one thing that's, that you've got to know is true is he cannot devour us. A church that, that is united will never, ever, 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 ever be defeated. It, it, it just cannot. The enemy can try to do whatever he can, but he is powerless, 100% powerless to defeat a united church. So what does he try to do? He begins to try to isolate Christians from other Christians. There's a, there's a video that maybe you've seen before. It's of this lion. They're gonna begin playing in the background. It's this lion who, who is out by himself and finds himself surrounded by a pack of hyenas. And we see the lion, this male lion, as being the most dominant force in the wilderness. And, uh, but yet, here he is by himself, by himself. He is gonna lose this battle every time. He is going to be their lunch. See ourselves here as a lion. What is true about us as a lion? Within us, we have the resurrection power of Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah is within us. We have all power given to us in the name of Jesus here on heaven and here on earth. We are powerful. But isolated, you begin to say things like, uh, I just, I just don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Whoa, where did that statement come from? It came from a spiritual enemy who's trying to divide you. He begins to say, oh, I, I, uh, I don't need, I, I'm fine. But what happens and what you see happening in the picture is that one other lion shows up. And what happens now, the spiritual enemy is he's outnumbered even at two to 20. And our spiritual enemy is working very, very hard to get us to isolate from each other. Very, very strategically. Because if he can separate you from the pride, if he can separate you from the church, he has got you right where he wants you. It may be a lot of yipping and a, a, a lot of movement, but he will eventually win that battle. He will take you out. And he is very patient, biting you, beating you down until he gets you tired and vulnerable and then takes you out. There's a few different scriptures that we can look at. Um, uh, you got Ecclesiastes chapter four, talking about uh, you, you know, when two are gathered together um, uh, and all the benefits of that. I'm pretty sure I just talked about that in our Deeper Community series in January, so I won't go into that again. But then you've got other scriptures that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And so what we see in our services this morning is you look around to the other people in your room, you think, oh, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we've got enough numbers. Listen, it is not just us. 
but it's the almighty God in our midst. And again, a church that is united together will never be defeated. He tries to convince us we don't need church. We don't need each other. He tries very hard to get us offended at each other, unwilling to forgive each other. He tries very hard at getting us to be comfortable not coming to church. I remember someone who had been at our church, he said, I skipped, I, I skipped church one Sunday and it turned into 17 years. And she, had, she was coming back to church now and communicated that to us. What is the life-giving, mind-renewing biblical action to isolation? What does scripture call us to do? All right, isolation, and you can read this. I mean, every secular psychologist are writing about this. What does scripture tell us to do? Instead of isolate, we should congregate. We should be together in deeper community. We should be together in prayer. We should be together in our in life. We should be together as a church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What does scripture, what does scripture tell us? What is like a fundamental part of being a Christian? What is a fundamental part of being part of the body of Christ? Do not neglect meeting together. Why would the author of Hebrews write this? You think he was concerned about church attendance at a time when Christians were being persecuted and executed? No, his concern, he knew that when the church dissipates, when the church isolates, then the enemy feasts. In, um, in the middle of, of 2020, uh, or uh, you know, near the end of 2020, after uh, multiple months of, of, of COVID and social distancing and people being stuck in their homes, um, as they got to the end of the year, the Gallup organization did a poll, and we, we shared it back then, but that was almost a couple years ago now, and they did a poll on people's mental health, and, uh, and they were comparing it from 2019 to 2020, what's the difference, what's going on in people's lives, because everybody knew that this social isolation, that social distancing was was wreaking havoc on us. Everybody knew it was causing a problem. Suicides were increasing. Uh, drug overdoses were increasing. Uh, counseling visits were increasing. And every counseling office began to have, began to have a, a hundred person waiting list. And it seems like you couldn't get in anywhere. Everybody knew it. 
And so the Gallup organization did this poll, and I'll put it up on the screen. You may not be able to read it, but you've got all these negative changes from, from year to year. Negative change, negative change, negative change, positive change. Negative, 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 negative. Everybody's having a decline in their mental health after months of social distancing and isolation and everything going on in the world and all the drama and all the elections and everything just... No matter who you are, it's going bad for you, except, wait a minute, one group of people had a positive change. Their mental health increased despite all of the crap and garbage and fear that was going on. Who is that group? People who attend religious services on a weekly basis. Male or female, doesn't matter, negative. Party identification, Republican, Independent, Democratic, doesn't matter, negative. Um, race, white or non-white, doesn't matter, negative. Marital status, married or not married, doesn't matter, negative. Age group, uh, young adult, middle age, older than middle age, uh, uh, older than that, doesn't matter, negative. Income, poverty or under 40,000. 40 to 100,000, 100,000 or more, doesn't matter, negative. Attend weekly, week, attend religious services every other week or once a month, negative. Attend seldom or never, negative. Every group is negative except for one group, the people who attend religious services weekly. Why? Because the enemy does everything he can to isolate you. And when he does, even if he's able to isolate you a couple times a month, he has got his foothold into your mind. And that doesn't mean if you attend weekly that you won't struggle and there won't be hard times. I mean, I've attended, you heard, I've attended church every week of my life. And, uh, and still there's these moments of there's still these moments of crisis, but but my mental health didn't decline. All right, because I knew I still knew I was still gathered with my brothers and sisters. I still had people I was calling. I would call the deacon board and say, "Hey, I need you guys to pray for me." I'd call staff and say, "Hey, we just got more bad news on top of more bad news. Can you guys come to our house and pray for us?" And um, and, and so, but. But I never lost hope, right? Because I knew who Jesus is. I knew his word. And I knew that any problem that I was facing is temporary in light of eternity. I didn't lost hope. I didn't give up. Isolation. And, and what, what happens is that isolation makes it's a pitfall that makes it worse. So if you say, I have social anxiety, I don't want to go to church, what happens? Your mental health declines further. I'm upset with people at church. I'm not going to go anymore. What happens? There's a decline in your mental health. Don't fall into this pitfall. The moments when you feel I can't even do it. I can't even go to church anymore. I can't. You've got to get up and walk another mile. 
Don't lay down there and let the enemy surround you. Second pitfall here is comparison. During our, in January, we did a month of fasting and, uh, and abstaining from different things. And one of the weeks, I think it was maybe the very first week or second week, we abstained from social media. So just one week, seven days, don't sign on, on your phone or your computer, just ghost everybody on social media. And the seven days ended, and there was surprise, I, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised, but I, maybe I was surprised that people verbalized it so, um, so effortlessly. Seven days ended, and people said, I feel so much better. Seven days of not going on social media, and people were verbalizing and having conversations in the church lobby about feeling better emotionally and mentally. Why does that happen? Well, there are a lot of secular studies that are beginning to understand more and more that social media is detrimental to our mental and our physical health. There's one of the reasons is because of comparison. And comparison, they've studied this, I, I, you know, in 1950s, they're doing studies on social comparison and it, how it affects people emotionally, all right? And they're realizing you begin to compare yourself to other people and you begin to, your mental health begins to degrade. Social media is a den of comparison and few people make it out alive. Because all you have to do is sign on and you say, oh, they're on vacation, I can't afford vacation. Oh, their family smiles, my family doesn't smile. Oh, their spouse love, they love each other, my spouse doesn't love. Oh, they posted about Valentine's, my didn't post about Valentine's. Oh, they're, they're, they're in a relationship now and I'm not in a relationship. Oh, they're my ex, they cheated on me, but they have all these good things happening. And you, what you just begin to compare. Oh, their new car, I don't have a new car. Oh, their house, I don't have a new car. Oh, they, they post about, I don't have it. And you just like, you just begin to feel like, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm ugly. I'm terrible. And these are the thoughts, these are the conclusions we come into when we compare ourselves to other, to other people. The other thing that could happen is maybe even, uh, you may even, no, well, I compare myself and I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> Guess what? That's a mental health problem too. <laughs> and that doesn't lead you to the great places that God has for you when you begin to look down on other people and compare, that creates a pollution in your heart as well. Evidence is growing of an association between greater social media use and higher depressive and anxiety scores. Use social media, the more you use social media, the higher your rates of depression and anxiety. It brings poor sleep, low self-esteem, body image concerns, and um, also, social media is connected to isolation, which we just read. So the University of Pennsylvania found that high usage of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, any other social media platform, it increases rather than decreases feelings of loneliness. 
So the more you use social media, the more you feel lonely, the more it forces you, it drives you into isolation. The study found that reversing social media usage can actually make you feel less lonely and isolated and improve your overall well-being. And you discover, you know this to be true because you fasted it for, you abstained from it for a week and said, I feel better. So what do we do? Well, Galatians 6, 4 says, pay careful attention to your own work. Look at yourselves, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Say it with me, everybody. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. What we don't want to do is compare ourselves with other people. What we want to do is to evaluate ourselves according to Scripture. And according to what God has told us to do. Going back a couple of weeks ago, going back to the dating series, single or married, is one better than the other? No. What has God called you to do? How does he want you to live right now? And you follow him in that. So according to scripture, what should we do differently than, than, uh, than comparing? Let's go back to that same verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then verse number 25, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Instead of going on social media and comparing one another, if you are gonna use social media, um, do it in moderation. But begin now. Instead, our motivation should not be comparing other people, but it should be inspiring others. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Inspiring others to live out God's work for their own life. And then additionally, encouraging other people. Instead of trying to put them down and keep yourself above them, you're encouraging them, trying to get them to rise up beyond you. And we see Paul doing this in his life as well. We even see Jesus doing this in his life as, he would, as Jesus would send out the disciples. He'd send them out in Paris. Hey, you go do miracles now. You've seen me do great works, but you will do greater work. Paul elevating Titus and Timothy and all these other young pastors and, and, and writing to the churches. He's your leader. I've given him authority. Follow him. Listen to his teaching. Go the direction he's telling you to go. Elevating them beyond himself. Inspire and encourage. The last one is this. And the band uh, can move forward. The last one, uh, the last pitfall is ruminating. And... Uh, let, me, let me give you a definition here, uh, a, a psychological definition. Ruminating thoughts are excessive and intrusive thoughts about negative experiences and feelings. A person with a history of trauma may be unable to stop thinking about the trauma, for example, while a person with depression may, de may persistently think negative, self-defeating thoughts. Ruminating, according to biology, is when, uh, 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 you know, there's a variety of animals that have multiple stomachs, most famous being a cow, and it will swallow its food, store it in one of its stomachs, 
when it gets bored later, it'll regurgitate it and start and start chewing it some more. Then it'll put it back. It's like a it's like a like a toddler who just holds food in their cheeks all day, and then eventually, like, what are you eating? And you're like, you're still eating breakfast. It's eight o'clock at night. Like, <laughs> that's what ruminating is. It's just it's just chewing on these negative thoughts over and over again, and and you can't get out of it. It becomes this worn down road that just sucks you in. And so something triggers it, something reminds you of it, and you go through those negative thoughts again. Ah, oh, I remember now, I'm not good. Ah, oh, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. Romans 8, 6 says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting your sinful nature determine your thoughts about yourself, letting your sinful nature force you back into thinking those negative thoughts and thinking those problems and, and thinking about it over and over again is gonna lead to a death, an emotional death. What do we do instead? Instead of, don't, instead of ruminating, we, we learn the practice of meditating, meditating on scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, that same scripture again, verse number 24. It says, let us think of ways to motivate each other. Instead of thinking about what's wrong with me, instead of thinking about you know, what I could have done differently, instead of thinking about the harm that was done to me, I begin to think about ways to motivate other people, begin to think about ways to inspire other people, begin to think about ways to serve one another, begin to think about ways to elevate one another, think about ways to bless one another, think about ways to care for one another, think about ways to pray for one another. And in that, the church is stronger, and the church is closer, and the church is better, and others are continued to be drawn in and rescued from these pack of ugly hyenas that are trying to take us out. We meditate on scripture, and one scripture you can meditate on this week is this, these verses. Hebrews chapter 10, two verses, 24 and 25. We talked about it every, every point this morning. And what you can do is you wake up in the morning and you, and you read these verses. And, you know, last year when I was stuck in that four or five months, like I can't, before I would open my eyes in the morning, I was thinking those thoughts and feeling those feelings. Before I'd open my eyes, I would be, before I was awake, I'd be stuck in those thoughts again, stuck in that feeling again, and, uh, and begin to think, no, stop. Jesus, your word says, and being deliberate about, about listening to sermons and, and listening to worship music and resetting my mind. No, I'm not going to keep going down that road. Let's adventure on. Let's learn. Let's learn new things. Let's go back to the places that bring life, not keep hanging out in that place of death. Last verse here, and I'm going to pray for you on meditating. Philippians 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, one final thing for me to you as well. 
fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Fix your thoughts on those things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You're thinking about the things that are going wrong. You're even beginning to think, and you're beginning to think angry thoughts toward God about the things that are going wrong. No, instead, fix your mind. Think about and meditate on things that are excellent and things that make you praise God. Three pitfalls. Isolation, comparison, ruminating. Three opportunities to live differently. And if you're stuck in a crisis, all right, get help. Get help. Don't give up. Don't distance yourself from each other. Stay in the times of crisis. We should be more connected than ever. More connected than ever. We should be, when... When, when life gets difficult, our church involvement should increase, not decrease. Because it's in here we're protected, where we have friendship, where we have people looking out and guarding our back and people who will walk through these things with us. Jesus, we love you and we praise your name. Your name's worthy to be praised. And when, I've, when we've got nothing else, we think that there's nothing else we could be thankful for. We can think about you, Jesus, and then we can focus our eyes on you, Jesus, and there is something we can give praise about. You, Jesus, are the name above every other name. You, Jesus, are the line of the tribe of Judah. You, Jesus, are the, re are the resurrection power that indwells in me. You, Jesus, are the righteousness, and, and, uh, and you've put that righteousness on me. You, Jesus, are the author and perfecter of my faith. You're the one doing the process. You're the one doing the work. And I thank you, God, that as we just say, wait a minute, we're just going to live scripture. Instead of isolating, we're going to continue to meet together. Instead of comparing, we're going to encourage one another. Instead of thinking and ruminating these negative thoughts, we're going to meditate on your thoughts, God, and on your word, God. And I just pray, Jesus, that you'll bring healing and deliverance to every mind and every heart. That we will just begin to do these simple things that you put in your word and then additionally get help when necessary and, and probably it's much sooner than we believe but we'll have other people walk alongside with us pastors circle leaders friends christian counselors walking alongside us and helping us to climb out of these pitfalls to begin again on that path of overflowing life that you promised and we pray all these things in jesus mighty name Amen.